Hi, guys. Okay, so, uh, so I do have a sermon I want to share with you guys this morning, um, and we're going to be at John 9. So if you've if you got a Bible, pull it out. We're going to be in John 9. We are not taking offering, but there is a box in the back that if you want to drop it in, you can drop it in there. Also, if you want to give online, uh, that's available to give online. Or you can mail stuff in. But we may not be here, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, we're in John 9. Um, I, I was, this week was busy, for me at least. It was boring for a lot of people. Oh, man, I had a busy week. Uh, we had, we're um, coordinating with other churches in the area, with the people in this town, and then we're also um, coordinating with the county about uh, kind of helping them, helping them coordinate with faith centers here in town. So we're happy to be a part of that network, and um, I'll keep you updated. But uh, yeah, it was a busy week, but when I was praying about my sermon and, and what to share, um, this is the passage that came to me, and this is kind of the, the word that I had for us this morning. So if you open up to John 9, I'm going to go ahead and read John 9, verses 1 through 7. Okay. Let's pray first, eh? Lord, we just thank you for a time to be together, God. Even though we may not be able to see each other face to face, you're still with us. Your spirit is still surrounding us and has knit us together. God, that's how it's always been. Your spirit has always, throughout history, gathered the church together. We've always been scattered. We've never been able to be in one place at one time, um, just due to geography and uh, different times and different places. But God, in your spirit, we're all together in one. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the unity that we can enjoy in the presence of your spirit. So we pray that you'd be with us this morning. You'd be with everyone who's at their house. You'd be with um, those who are here, Lord, and uh, that you would speak your word. Amen. Amen. All right, John 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and then we're going we're to walk through it. This is what it says. It says, as he went along, he is Jesus. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. That means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, is what the disciples want to know. It's interesting that when we encounter suffering in the world, we first go to the blame game, right? The blame game becomes the primary. Whose fault is this? And I think... You know, maybe in one sense it's because we, on some level, believe that if we could destroy the person who was at fault, that maybe suffering would stop. You know, if we could find out who it was that caused this blindness to happen in this man, maybe we could go after that person and, you know, do something to them or have them do something and they could reverse the blindness. Uh, maybe it's just that we, we want to be able to blame somebody so that we can make somebody else suffer for the suffering that we see in the world. Maybe there's just something in our nature about that. Uh, 
whatever whatever reason, the disciples are looking for somebody to blame. Who was it that sinned? Um, and we look for people to blame too. This is not the first pandemic uh, that has hit the world. Um, and every pandemic that comes, we play the blame game. In the Middle Ages, uh, when the bubonic plague came through and, and wiped out so many people in Europe, Jews were blamed um, for the pandemic. Uh, in 1892, and when the cholera pandemic swept over the world, Jews, again, European Jews were blamed, and it led to anti-Semitism rising in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, in the 1918 influenza pandemic, uh, here in the United States, African-American communities were targeted and blamed uh, for being unhygienic. In 2009, when the swine flu uh, came through, it was Mexican-American communities that were targeted um, for being unhygienic or somehow spreading disease. And now today, uh, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League and other human rights organizations has noticed an uptick in the ferocity and frequency of hate crimes against Asian Americans and specifically Chinese Americans because of this recent pandemic. We want to blame someone. We would love to have somebody to blame, somebody who we could point the finger at to take responsibility for suffering so that maybe on some level we could cause them pain and therefore work out the pain that we're feeling as well. Jesus replies, he tells them, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. Which is an interesting thing to say because obviously this man had sinned, right? He had sinned in the past and his parents had sinned, right? So when Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, what he doesn't mean to say is that they've never sinned. What he means to say is that the suffering that you're seeing right now, the suffering that's on display is not as a result of anyone's sin. No one's sin has contributed, has created this suffering. Instead, Jesus says, this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. I want to take us back to Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, God brings uh, dust. He takes dust from the ground, right? And he forms a man. From formless dust, from just powder, right? He creates the form of a man. From God's perspective, the lack of form the chaotic nature of the world, even sin, from God's perspective, it's seen very differently. What we perceive to be formless dust, God sees as a canvas to create humanity. What we see as a birth defect, what the disciples saw as a sin, God sees as an opportunity to display his glory, an opportunity to display his work. The chaotic, formless, defective nature of your life, of my life, may seem to me to be an example of sin, but God sees it as an opportunity, as a blank canvas, to bring about redemption and new life. YouTube is sinking down. (laughs) Some of you might be familiar with Tupac Shakur. Uh, if you're not familiar, raise your hand if you're familiar. Felix, you know Tupac. Thank you, brother. Anybody else in this room listen to Tupac? You listen to Tupac, Sylvia? Dang. I've got kids. you got kids. Okay. You guys listen to Tupac, John? No? Rody's like, who are you talking about? Okay. You know who I'm talking about. All right. Check out some Tupac Shakur this week, but do it, uh, you know, it's, not, it's parental advisory, right? So, you know, <laughs> don't, uh, don't let... 
don't listen to it in front of your grandkids. But, uh, you know, and I don't endorse all of what he's saying. So, you know, I don't want you to get that. But I think Tupac Shakur was a prophet for his time. He, the way that he was able to say things, the things that he was getting at were, were incredible. He's an incredible poet, incredible lyricist. Um, and I like, I like his stuff, to be honest with you. Uh, and he, so he was, he was shot, he was killed uh, just when he was very young. I think he was like, what, 26 or something like that, right? 26 years old when he was killed. And uh, really put out some really amazing things in that time period. But in the late 80s and early 90s, he wrote a, a book of poetry called um, The Rose That Grew From Concrete. And I want to share with you the poem that he wrote. This is a guy, by the way, who he grew up uh, inner city Los Angeles, um, you know, very much involved in gang life. And uh, his mother was addicted to crack uh, and didn't grow up with a father. And, and like all of the things that you would say that this guy is going to go down a particular path, you know, of destruction. He had that. And yet he was able, in, the, in that experience, to write such poignant and uh, beautiful lyrics and poetry. This is what he wrote. He said, Did you hear about the rose that grew from the crack in the concrete? Proving nature's laws wrong, it learned to walk without having feet. Funny it seems, but by keeping its dreams, it learned to breathe fresh air. Long live the rose that grew from concrete when no one else ever cared. The question should not be, why does God allow these things to happen? Why does God allow the concrete to exist? Why does God allow disease? Why does God allow these sufferings? What God is interested in is seeing the roses that grow out of concrete. Seeing how a formless dust can be transformed into a man. Seeing how a, a blindness can be transformed into a display of his glory. God is looking at the formless dust, and he's imagining the human inside of it. He watches over the roses that grow from concrete jungles. And so the question is, will concrete stop us? Will we allow this to stop us? Will the dust remain formless, or will God's work be put on display? As long as it is day, says Jesus to his disciples, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What is Jesus doing among us today? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to find out. As a pastor, as a, as a believer, as a person, I want to know, what is Jesus doing among us today? What's happening now? Uh, people look at this, they, you know, we're starting to freak out, you know, the empty shelves at Safeway and uh, empty monuments and, and what's going to happen and we're all stuck inside. I want to know what Jesus is doing. What's going on? I see the concrete. Now I want to see the roses. I see the, the birth defect. Now I want to see the power of God put on display. What is God doing among us today? How is his glory being worked out? Jesus comes and the light comes into the world and it begins to dispel darkness. But what is our darkness? What is our darkness? I would say there's two things. <clears throat> First, <clears throat> our darkness is our apathy. The disciples were not interested in helping this man. 
Right? You don't see anybody giving him alms. You don't see anybody helping him out. They're not interested in helping him. They were interested in a philosophical question. Who sinned, Jesus? I'd like to know. I'm interested in that. I can imagine them walking next to this man. You know, they're just, they're just passing him, and, you know, really loudly. Oh, Jesus, who was it that sinned? You know, that this man here would be blind. What happened? What kind of evil thing happened so that this man would be cursed like this? Last week, Edward, uh, he pointed out in a really, really good sermon, I thought was a great sermon. But he pointed out that suffering has always been going on. And he mentioned starvation. And I looked it up. Did you know that 20, 25, I'm just amazed by this, they estimate that 25,000 people die every day due to starvation. 25,000 people every day. More people will die today from starvation than have died from the coronavirus in the entirety that it's been going on since January. 25,000 people a day. Now, I'm not trying to say that we need to be concerned about every single problem in the world because if we did that, we'd be so overwhelmed by grief, we wouldn't be able to be useful to anyone. But the reason why we're not concerned about starvation is because it doesn't touch our lives. It doesn't touch us. Like the blindness of this man to the disciples, the suffering of other people is removed from us, so we feel like we don't have to deal with it. And it's only when it starts to come to our doors, it's only when it starts to come to our house, that we start to take action. Notice the difference in response. The present and constant danger of starvation has caused no one to go out to Safeway and empty the shelves. But once the threat comes to our community, once the, once the threat comes to our lives, now suddenly it becomes our problem. As long as it was this, that man, as long as it was that man and not the disciples right, who were blind, then they could attend to that suffering at arm's length. But now the light has come into the world. And it dispels the darkness of apathy. So the second thing that light does is it brings illumination to our minds. People today are losing their minds because of anxiety and worry. This is what Isaiah 26 says. I give. Isaiah 26 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. If you want to have peace in times of trouble, trust in the Lord. Because the Lord himself is the rock eternal. He is immovable during this crisis. Pandemics come and pandemics go. But the Lord maintains himself forever. He doesn't move, he doesn't reduce his power in one iota based on what our circumstances are. But he's watching over us. He's watching us. He's asking, how are we going to react? He's looking at the disciples, saying, how are you going to react to this situation? So long as there's light in the world, we're called to do the work of the one who brings light. So how are we going to react? Are we going to react with blame? Are we going to react with anxiety? Are we going to react with hatred towards other people? Uh, the other day I was sitting, and um, it's, good to have, it's good to have maybe one reliable news source so you don't feel like you have to jump around to everybody 
pick a news source and stick with it, and as long as it's reliable. Right? Everybody's biased, but as long as it's reliable. So I like the BBC. I like BBC News because we lived in England for a year, and so they have that kind of British perspective, and I like that. So I, I read BBC News, and I was sitting there uh, the other day at the table, and I was on my phone. I was reading BBC News on my, on my app, and you know, just kind of sitting there looking at it. And Abigail, my little girl, came up to me, and she just, without, without a word, she takes my phone out of my hands, puts it on the table, and she takes my hands, and she says, come with me. And so I got up and went to the other room, and we played together. She wanted me to play with me. At this moment, imagine God coming to you and putting his hand on your heart, on your mind, on your phone, and saying, put that down for a minute. Put down your anxiety for a minute. Put down your worry for a minute. Come with me. I just want you to be with me for a minute. God has given us a Sabbath. A lot of people say, man, it's hard to take a Sabbath. Guess what? God just forced a Sabbath on you. Y'all on Sabbath rest now. During a Sabbath, what are you supposed to do? Sit. Be with God. Just be with him. Not trying to produce anything. Not worrying about tomorrow. Right? This is why in the Old Testament, if you remember the Israelites, they've got out of Egypt, they're wandering through the desert, they're wandering through uh, the wilderness, and they're hungry, right? They need food, and so God brings manna. And manna is like this bread that comes from heaven, and, and it falls like dew on everything. And so they scoop it all up, and they get manna. Every morning, new manna comes. Um, and then the day before Sabbath, twice as much manna comes. Why? Because he wants you to gather on the day before Sabbath, so that on Sabbath, you just rest. You don't gather, you just rest. You just be in his presence and rest. God has given you a Sabbath right now. Take it. Rest in his presence. Be in his presence. Let him take away your phone. Let him take away your anxiety. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to come. Tomorrow's going to be full of its own worries and anxieties and, and frustrations. Let tomorrow be. Today, take your time with God. Just be with him today. God is calling this world back to him. And I don't say that because, I don't say that meaning that God is punishing us with this virus. But what I, what I mean is that if you drive light out, when the darkness comes, it's dark. When you drive hope out, desperation comes in. When you drive out a source of courage, anxiety begins to grow quickly in its absence. When you drive away peace, you're going to be left with war. That's what happens. And so the question I think that God is also asking us and asking us today is, have you driven light out of your life? Have we driven light out of our world? Have we driven it out of our communities? Have we driven Jesus out of our lives so much and then now when the storm hits, we have nothing to go back to anymore? Our source of hope has left. And what are we left with? Nothing, really. So I want to encourage you, take this time. I want to challenge you this week. Take this time. And even if that means, this is what I'm going to do because I I love news. I'm a news junkie when it comes to all this stuff. I like to be well informed, is what I should say. But this week I'm going to do this and I want to challenge you guys and everyone here too. One day this week, read nothing about this virus. Don't look at any news channels. Don't look at the television. 
Don't go on Facebook and look it up what's going on. You know what? The virus is going to be here. It's going to be here a week from today. It's not going anywhere. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> It'll still be here. All right? So you cannot look at the news for one day. So one day this week, take yourself off, unplug, and spend that day with God. Use this as an opportunity to have a Sabbath rest with the Lord. So that's what I'm going to do. I challenge you, do that too. Spend the day cleaning. You know, you're going to be home, might as well clean, right? Spend the day listening to worship music, right? Read some of your scripture. I got a, we got a devotion, we got a daily devotional going on every day um, at 10 o'clock, Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. I'm still going to do that, even if I have to do it for my house. Um, we'll still do that. And we have a Wednesday night Bible study at 6.30 p.m. So tune into those things. Find some encouraging things to watch or listen to. But no information about this virus for a whole day. See if you can do it. Spend time with God this week. Okay, let's move on. So having said this, so now he's, he's talked to his disciples. He's talked to them about light. He's talking about the work that he's going to do. And now it says, having said this, he spit on the ground. And he made mud with his saliva. And he put it on the man's eyes. And he said, Go. Wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. I heard this story about um, this actor. I, can't, I couldn't remember the actor's name. I thought I knew it, but I, I looked it up and it wasn't him. But it was a story about this actor who had played Jesus. He, w- he was not a Christian, but he played Jesus in a, a short film. And it was one of the passages that they were, you know, one of the stories that they were doing was this story. And uh, the actor was saying in an interview later, that when it came to the part where he was supposed to spit and put his saliva in somebody's eyes, he said, I couldn't do it. He said, uh, he said I couldn't do something so degrading to somebody. So instead, he just put his hands on the, on the person's eyes and you know, healed him that way. Um, miracles do not always happen like we think they should. Right? And it's kind of funny that like, where we are looking at Jesus saying, man, that's, I don't, hmm. I wouldn't do that, Jesus, you know. Like, we're a better judge of character than Jesus is. Like, ah, Jesus doesn't know what's degrading. I know what's degrading. Miracles do not always happen like we think that they should. All right? We see a person born blind, and we want a miracle of transformation. That's what we want to see. But sometimes God intends to do another kind of miracle. Sometimes the miracle that God does with people who are blind is he teaches us about humility and strength. Sometimes he teaches us about compassion. Sometimes he teaches about endurance. What do miracles look like during a pandemic? What do they look like? I think for, maybe for some of us, perhaps for some of us, a miracle will look like us becoming very sick and then miraculously recovering when we shouldn't. That could happen. That will happen, I'm sure. But that's not the only thing that miracles look like. And if we're only looking for that miracle, we're going to miss out on everything else that God is doing. Okay? Remember what Jesus said. It's, it's like this so that God's work would be dis- put on display in his life. So that God would get glory. So what does a miracle look like? This is what I think a miracle might look like nowadays. It might look like a nurse who's worked for 40 or 50 or 60 hours and then decides to go back into work to work more even though they're exhausted. It might look like a doctor who even though they have their own family and their own friends and their own life to worry about, boldly goes into a hospital room to help somebody else who's sick because they're full of courage by the Holy Spirit. 
Miracles might look like young people deciding to not be selfish and help their neighbors. Miracles might look like somebody who hoards and hoards uh, masks and hand sanitizer and whatnot and food, deciding all of a sudden one day to start sharing with other people. Miracles can look like all sorts of things. And I think that today God is looking at our lives, watching the concrete, watching for opportunities, watching for miracles to begin to be, come out, to begin to grow out of the concrete. These are everyday miracles. These are miracles that God is going to do among us. What is Jesus up to? Sometimes we don't give glory to God for these things because we don't recognize his hand in them. See, but that's so silly, isn't it? It's entirely understandable for somebody to want to protect their own life. In fact, Jesus himself said nobody would die for another person. Maybe for a good man, somebody would dare to die. But not for an evil person. That's unnatural to us, isn't it? We we don't want to do that. It's a miracle. It's a God-given miracle when we decide to put other people in a higher priority than ourselves. It's a God-given miracle when we start to seek the interests of those around us rather than our own. That's a miracle. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit active in our lives. Because we wouldn't do that on our own. That's not something we would commonly do on our own. We'd seek to protect us on our own. So whenever you see people working out, working to help each other, that's a miracle. That's the work of God. That's the Holy Spirit at work. This is the concrete through which God is growing a rose. This is the dust which God is transforming into a man. This has happened so that the work of God might be put on display in our lives. That's the word that I have for us this morning, and I want to encourage you with that. God is still at work. He watches over all these things, watches over your life, he watches over my life. And I'm challenged this week. I'm challenged in the way that I trust God. We sang the song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I'm challenged in that. Sometimes for me, it's easier to trust God with my salvation than it is to touch him with my body, trust him with my body. Sometimes it's easier to trust God with the ethereal soul than with my own mind. So I encourage you this week, trust in Jesus. He will see us through this. We're going to come out on the other side of this. People have faced harder and worse challenges, and with the strength of God, they made it through. And so also we will. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you because we know that you have not abandoned us. And God, I, I thank you also for the concrete. Lord, for the suffering. Not because I delight in suffering, but because I recognize that your power is still at work and that the miracles that I see are only possible in times of darkness. That if darkness doesn't descend, I don't even see where the light is. And so I pray that you would make your light to shine in this time. Lord, let this be a moment in history, just like wars, just like uh, conflicts, where we look back on the other side of it and say, my goodness, I, I see how God was moving now. Let this be a time like that as well. Let us not care so much about ourselves as we do about others. Give us strength to lay down our lives in service to other people. 
Please, Lord, be especially with those who are in the healthcare profession. Lord, protect them. Protect their bodies and their minds. And God, if it comes to it and this community gets hit hard, we pray that you would protect their time of sleep. Lord, protect their time of recuperation. Lord, we ask that you would be with them. Lord, be on every doctor and every nurse in this city. Guide them, Lord. Give them wisdom and discernment. Fill up their tanks full to overflowing, Lord. God, we eagerly await the miracles that you are producing all around us. Let us not ignore them. Let us see them and rejoice, knowing that these times of sickness, that these times of darkness are opportunities for your great power to be put on display. Be with us, Lord. Be with these people. Be with those who are watching. Strengthen us. Abide with us. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. In your name, Jesus. Amen. If you didn't miss, or if you did miss the earlier announcement, what I said was, um, if Oregon goes the way of several other states and goes on lockdown, uh, we will also be locked down here at the church, meaning we will not have our uh, daily prayer times. We will not have our weekly prayer times. The church will be literally locked and closed. So if you hear that the governor is going that direction, assume we are following with that because we are, we're going to be full in compliance with, um, with what the government says. Okay. Uh, other than that, please, if you are not connected to our YouTube or Facebook, uh, hook on to us just so that we can keep in contact. Many of you have people to call during the week um, to encourage, to check in with, to pray for. Continue to do that. I'm hearing some really great things about uh, conversations and people meeting each other's needs and prayers going out. Please continue to do that, especially as the days get darker. We need one another to be looking out for each other. So continue to do that as well. Go with God. God bless you. God bless you guys. God bless you guys and you and you and you and you and you and you and you. All right. God bless you guys. No potluck next week. Instead, share a meal with somebody that you live with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we will probably next week, we will probably talk about missions. Uh, I'll try to give missions updates. I have some updates for some missions groups that we're connected to. So um, I'll probably do some stuff about missions because we usually do fifth Sunday. It's usually a missions Sunday. So we'll do that. All right. God bless you guys.